Hey guys, thank you for tuning in to the Risen Nation Church podcast. I pray that this message today impact your life and above all, draw you into a deeper encounter with Jesus. I pray that the Spirit of God ministers to our heart and speaks something to us and we see a facet of God that He, a way of God that He longs for His people um, to act in this certain way, that He longs for His people to function in this certain mindset and this mindset is called Thanksgiving. Someone say Thanksgiving. And so I'm, I'm, I'm really, it just so happened. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you the truth. It just so happened. The Lord gave me this word. I'm like, oh yeah, next week is Thanksgiving. But I'm not giving this because this is what you do on Thanksgiving. But I think the Lord is orchestrating because he wants to speak to us something tonight about Thanksgiving and the power that's in a thankful heart. <clears throat> and, and I wanna give a special offering at the end. And so for those of you that are watching from Chicago and Dallas, I'm sorry, Chicago and Nashville right now, welcome to this live stream. And we ask that you shut off everything else, that you don't have any distractions and that we focus on the word of God tonight. And as a church from Dallas to Chicago and Nashville tonight, we're gonna give a special offering to the Lord uh, and we're gonna worship him at the end. I'm gonna have Ryan come back up and we're gonna do a, another song and then we'll be done. Amen? Amen? All right, so Exodus chapter 28, we're gonna, we're gonna kind of recap what we talked about on Sunday a little bit. For those of you that were here, for those of you that weren't, well, even if you were here, listen intently. <clears throat> because how many of you know that God's word is alive? How many of you know that it's active? And how many of you know that you can never hear the same th one thing once and think you got it, right? You can't hear one thing one time and say this, yeah, I'm good forever now. The Lord will speak to us every time we open his word. We read it through the lens of the spirit. As his spirit breathes on this word, it changes us from the inside out. So even if we've heard the same words before, if we just read the words, this is just a book. It's just a Bible. It's just pages with letters and ink printed on it. But if we read it with the lens of the spirit and we let the Holy Spirit speak to us, you can read the same verse every single day and I guarantee you, God will speak to you in a new way. I guarantee you, you could read the same chapter. As a matter of fact, I read some of the same chapters over and over and over again because they, they bring me new life. And I could probably quote them by memory. And every single time the Lord speaks to me in a brand new way. So we have to approach God's word with this reverence and holiness, right? We must never get familiar. Remember, how many of you remember we, we learned about Uzzah and Obed-Edom several months ago. Uzzah's mistake was not that he tried to catch the ark, that was a result of his mistake. Uzzah's sin was that he became familiar with what was in his father's house for 20 years. And so what's so dangerous is becoming familiar with the Lord and thinking we've figured him out and thinking that we know exactly how he operates and we've figured out his word and we know everything about him. He is unsearchable. Someone say unsearchable. You can search for all of eternity and never find the fullness of who he is. And so he is unsearchable, unknowing, and he is all, I'm sorry, all knowing God. And so we can never get familiar. Amen? Yeah. All right. 
So Exodus chapter 28 in verse 31, and you shall make the robe of the ephod all of blue, and there shall be an opening for his head in the middle of it. It shall have a woven binding all around its opening, like the opening in a coat of mail, so that it does not tear. Excuse me. And upon its hem, you shall make pomegranates of blue, purple, and scarlet, and all around its hems, and bells of gold between them all around, a golden bell and a pomegranate, a golden bell and a pomegranate upon the hem of the robe all around. And it shall be upon Aaron when he ministers, and its sound will be heard when he goes into the holy place before the Lord, and when he comes out that he may not die. So we immediately see the seriousness and intensity of God in how he he plans out and he gives instruction to Moses on how Aaron is to minister in the holy place. So you shall, verse 36, you shall make a plate of pure gold and engrave on it like the engraving of a signet and say it all, all together, holiness to the Lord. I said all together. Let's try it again. Holiness to the Lord. <laughs> and you shall put it on a blue cord that it may be on the turban, and it shall be on the front of the turban, so it shall be on Aaron's forehead, that Aaron may bear the iniquity, a type and shadow of Jesus, of the holy things which the children of Israel hallow, and all their holy gifts, and it shall be always on his forehead. So as a kingdom of kings and priests, as a royal priesthood, Second Peter tells us, Revelation 1 tells us, we are to have holiness to the Lord always on our forehead, always on our thinking, right in front, engraved in pure gold, meaning it's, it's not done by our own works. This is a divine working holiness to the Lord, and it shall always be on his forehead that they may be accepted before the Lord. And so Moses is saying, the Lord is saying through Moses to Aaron here that you have to have this holiness, holiness to the Lord on your forehead to be accepted as priest. And he gives him very specific instructions, even so much as to put pomegranates and bells on his robe so they know when he's going in and if he takes too long, they know he's probably dead and they got to drag him out. And they couldn't even go into the holy place and pull him out. They tied a rope around him so they could just drag him out because they would die if they went in there to get him. Like this is how intense God is, okay? The word holiness, <clears throat> and thank you that we operate in grace. Someone say amen. The word holiness is Kadesh. But God never changes. How many of you guys understand that? The word says he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So I want us to see this way of God that if God could wait, it's hard to say that God waits because he's not bound by time. But if God could wait, I feel like God is waiting for a priesthood like this. I feel like God is waiting for a people that have devoted their mind, that have said, my mind is holy to the Lord. And a lot of times we let things come in thoughts, we let debris, we let all the things and cares of this world, the word says, that that it chokes up the word, the thorns, the cares of this world that choke up the word. And we adjust what we believe 
based on what we see. We adjust what we believe, what the word says, subtly, like subtle things. Like we make it try to make sense to us. Are you guys with me? We make it try, we, we kind of take what is holy and what, you know, the Lord, when, when Jesus called his disciples up, it said he went up a mountain and he called them up there. In Revelation, it says, come up here and I'll show you a door. Come up and in the kingdom, we always must come up, amen? And so if it's something that's easy, if it's something that's common, if it's something that, that makes sense, God will always stretch us to make sure our mind stays holy, our mind stays set apart. And that's what this holiness, this word holiness, it's, it's more than just purity. It's more uh, than just behaving well. It actually means this word Kadesh in the Greek, is me, it means a sacred place, a place of sanctity, uh, sanctification. It speaks of to be consecrated, to be dedicated, holy to the Lord, and set apart or devoted. Do you guys got all that? Those of you that were here on Sunday probably remember all this. It's a set apart, devoted to the Lord. In Psalms 4, it says, God sets apart for himself those that are godly. His servants, he sets them apart for himself. So you're not set apart for you. You're not set apart, consecrated for your ministry. It's for the Lord. He sets you apart because he said of the Levites, these are mine. I'm going to give the children of Israel all their land and all the things they desire in their promised land, but these ones are mine. How many of you remember that? And so as priests unto our gods, unto our God, our minds must be holy, sanctified, consecrated, dedicated, hallowed, and a sacred place unto the Lord. And so we we have talked about from day one being a house that ministers to the Lord. And, and I, I don't want to go too much into that because we heard it on Sunday, but the greatest way we can minister to God is in our thinking. We minister to God and how we think and what we allow because how you think dictates the rest of your life. How you believe, what you believe about God first and foremost and what you believe about yourself secondarily, dictates the rest of your life. So God, from the beginning, he told Moses and Aaron, I want you to put holiness on your forehead. I want it on your mind. I want your mind devoted to me. And the thing is, when your mind becomes sanctified and devoted to God, it becomes like a steel trap and things of this world cannot get in. And we learn how to think at a set-apart level. We learn how to minister to God by how we think. There are certain people that God just enjoys being around by the way that they think. We've set apart our minds. We've set our the cares of this world, we've left them behind and set apart our thinking into this consecrated, sanctified, dedicated, and holy way of thinking. And this holy way of thinking always says God's ways are higher than my ways. Because religion, what religion does is it tries to to turn down the fire a little bit at a time. It tries to turn down the lamp. It tries to justify um, things that we don't see. It tries to justify living like the world, thinking like the world. And I'm not even talking about sin. 
What religion does is it tries to justify the normality of just getting by. Religion tries to justify doing the church thing and being a good boy and being a good girl. And, you know, maybe we're not meant, maybe this is all I'm meant to do in life. Maybe this is all God has for me. Maybe, you know, maybe this sickness does belong to me, or maybe my kids will never get free. And these type of thoughts, uh, we try to change the word and adjust it to fit our narrative and what makes sense to us. And this is where a mind that is holy kicks in. This is where a mind that is consecrated kicks in. This is where a mind that is sanctified says, my mind is a holy place that the Lord and I commune. It's a high set apart place. Are you guys with me? And so God is raising up a priesthood that is consecrated and sanctified in their thinking. I want God to consecrate our house and when I say our house, I don't just mean Dallas. I mean Chicago and Nashville consecrate us in our thinking, sanctify us in our thinking that we may minister to the Lord as, as kings and priests, as a kingdom of kings and priests by the way we think. As priests, our minds are to be holy and devoted to the Lord. Psalms 139 I read it all the time. Verses 23 to 24 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. That word is divided in mind, divided opinion. It says, Know my divided opinion and see if there is any wicked, that is any carnal, stagnant, idle way in me and lead me into the way, in the way everlasting. So how many of you want to ask God tonight to know my heart, know my anxieties, if there's any divided mind, if there's any divided opinion, if I have one opinion about myself that's not aligned with the word of God, if I have an opinion about my wife or my children, my coworkers, if I have an opinion about why I am on this earth that does not align with the word of God, remove everything in Jesus' mighty name that does not align with your word, God. Sanctify our minds, make our minds holy. We wanna be a community across this nation, be a community of kings and priests a holy priesthood, a royal priesthood, a nation that have holiness stamped on our forehead. These people that have holiness on their forehead will operate different. The normal church going, Lord bless them, they're going to heaven, but this is a higher calling. I said this is a higher calling and not saying that we are better. This is what we are pressing toward this mark of this high calling of God in Christ Jesus. After David brings the ark back to Jerusalem in 1 Chronicles 16, 29, he says, give to the Lord the glory due his name. 1 Chronicles 16, 29, bring an offering and come before him. Oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. It is a beautiful thing to the Lord. During the reforms of Hezekiah, which we're gonna read about in a minute, <clears throat> the priesthood sanctified themselves to the Lord. Again, the, all the Levites, and in 2 Chronicles 31, 18, it says, and to all who are written in the genealogy, their little ones and their wives, their sons and daughters, the whole company of them, for in their faithfulness, they sanctified themselves in holiness. And so this might not be something that we see overnight, but the key is to be faithful. 
I said, the key is to be faithful. And this faithfulness to the Lord, this faithful endeavor, desire, pursuit, this never ending uh, pursuit where that is, this is like an, uh, we're never quite satisfied in our pursuit. This hunger, this faithfulness is what sanctifies us and it turns into holiness. So, what happens is we get stagnant if we have, if we think we've got it all. If we think we've got all the information, we've learned it all, we understand it all, and we get stagnant in the things of God, but God is after our faithfulness. And we move in Him, we go from glory to glory. Amen. Righteousness is revealed from faith to faith. And so it's so important that we stay faithful to the things of God. And in that faithfulness, we become sanctified, which ultimately leads to holiness. This is the way of a Levitical priesthood. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 to 5 in the King James, just write it down and listen. It says, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Verse 5 casting down, here's the key. Someone say casting down. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. It's always against the knowledge of God. And bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. I, this is one of the verses we should read every single day. This word casting down, when it says cast down imagination, it literally means to demolish, destroy, and take down with violence. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> it means demolish, destroy, take down with violence. So Paul is saying to the Corinthians here, we are to demolish imaginations, Thoughts of inadequacy, thoughts of shame, thoughts of condemnation, thoughts of I am not enough, thoughts of I will never attain, thoughts of depression, thoughts of all this kind of stuff. And I'm not downplaying depression. What I'm saying is uh, to God, what's depression to God? We glorify it in the church because we don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. But what's depression and anxiety to God? It's an imagination. To him, it doesn't exist. There's no depression in God. There's no anxiety in God. There's no, there's no, uh, there's no nightmares in God. There's none of that in God. It's imaginations. It comes from the earth. It comes from hell. So it says to demolish that which doesn't belong in you, in this space uh, called your thinking that I have sanctified, demolish it cast down imaginations because what they're doing is they're puffing themselves up against my knowledge, the way I think, the way I operate. Demolish it, take it down with violence. When thoughts contrary, and I'm gonna say this slow, when thoughts contrary to the word of God enter our mind, these are intruding space that God calls holy. Yes, sip of water. When thoughts contrary to the word of God enter our mind, these are intruding space that God calls holy. Our mind is a space that God calls holy. This is why it says, take every thought captive. And so, 
Taking every thought captive looks like demolishing it, destroying it, taking it down with violence. Thoughts that are contrary to the word of God are trespassing and must be driven out. Second Corinthians 10, three to five. This is why it, we must take every thought captive. Say, take every thought captive. Thoughts that are contrary to the word of God are trespassing and must be driven out. You guys remember when the Lord said to the children of Israel, because you didn't drive out all the ites in the land, they're just gonna dwell with you and they're gonna be a thorn in your side. You remember when he said that? He said, I told you that I've given you the land. I told you that I've given you this land as your possession. It is what I have claimed for you. And all you have to do is drive out what's in your land. And we have to take this as our thinking. What was a land in the Old Testament, the promised land is a life in the new. Are you guys with me? We learned this on Sunday, but I want everyone to hear this. Is a life in the new. And so what God was telling the children of Israel is that you didn't drive them out. You didn't remove what doesn't belong. You didn't remove what was occupying space that should be only mine. Our mind should be space that is only God, only God's, occupied by only the Holy Spirit. And I, and, and it doesn't mean we won't have thoughts that are contrary. It doesn't mean we won't have thoughts that try to come in that are discouraging. It doesn't mean we won't have thoughts that come in that are tempting. It doesn't mean any of that. What it means is we have the power through Jesus to cast down every imagination. We, it, we have been given the power to demolish. We've been given the power through God's word to destroy and take down with violence. As a matter of fact, as the sons and daughters of God, it is our job. Because he said in the he said in the in the, the book of Judges, chapter one, to the children of Israel, he said, You haven't driven them out at all. And then it, it goes through all the tribes of Israel, and it says they've dwelled with the Amalekites and the Canaanites, even to this day. They mixed with them, they married with them, they became a culture with them, and God never had his full manifestation of what he wanted to do with the children of Israel because they lived in mixture. And now we, we I think as a church, as Risen Nation, we, we wanna live righteously and holy and strive to please God in purity. Somebody say amen. And I think we, we do a, a good job of that as a community, but I wanna go one step higher and it's not just... Um, it's not just living a certain way to attain some uh, level to where we can say we are pure, but it is achieving a way of thinking that is holy. And so when we enter into this promised land or this life that is, is this too deep for anybody? When we enter into this promised land or this life that is holy, God says, that's yours, I've given it to you. So every other thought is contrary, trespassing, violating my sanctified space. Drive it out. This should be ministering to you. This is ministering to me. Drive it out. So how do we war against strongholds? Ephesians chapter five, verse 25. 
let's just go there. There's something special when we can look at it. And so if you read the book of Joshua, if you read Judges, if you read about once the, the Israelites made this conquest into Canaan, it says that several generations down the road, they swayed from the things of God. They didn't keep the ways of their fathers of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They didn't walk in the things of the Lord. They actually became like the world. They actually became like all the ites of the land, and they just became mixed in with a society that they were supposed to drive out a long time ago. So what one generation doesn't drive out, the next generation will have to deal with. What one generation doesn't say enough, we are not tolerating that. We, that The buck stops here. Another generation will have to deal with that. Another generation. And the problem is, is that the generation that went into Canaan, because they took so long to enter the promised land, the generation uh, that went in didn't know how to fight. And so their children didn't know how to fight. And so all they could do was assimilate. But we are not called to assimilate to the world. We are not called to assimilate to ways of thinking. We are not called to assimilate to ways of just getting by and, and dumbing down God's word and dumbing down the way we think to get along with society. But God is calling us higher. God is calling a people that are set apart, a people that are sanctified, that understand. You see, when your mind becomes renewed, let me just slow down for a second. When your mind becomes renewed in the things of God, when we say we have the mind of Christ, not we're going to get, we have it. First Corinthians 2, we have the mind of Christ. Let this mind be in you, Philippians 2, that let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who found it not robbery to be in the form, being in the form of God. He found it not robbery to be equal with God. Let this mind be in you. You have the mind of Christ. And so if we operate by not trying to get the mind of Christ, but having the mind of Christ, everything that is not of God's mind, everything that is not of God's thoughts become really easy to spot. And in religion, we've made the kingdom of God, we've made Christianity about adding and trying to attain and get to a place. Really, the kingdom of God is more about removing than adding. The kingdom of God is more about removing things that don't belong because he's chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. Give us everything that pertains unto life and godliness. So according to God, he's given us everything. He's redeemed us. If you have given your life to Jesus and you have been redeemed, he has changed your thinking. And so when he gives us his mind, it's much easier to remove what doesn't belong. So we're not trying to attain a new mind. We have a new mind. We're not trying to get uh, new thoughts. We're not trying to get somewhere in God. We've been given everything. And now our job being in this world, although not of it, but in this world, we must cast away, cast down, demolish, and drive out all the ites in our thinking that have nothing to do with the word of God. There are things that people go through, and this is gonna sound like a, a haughty statement, but... Oh, well, there are things that I see that, and not here, thank God, but we see the world go through where I look at it and it says, that has nothing to do with me. 
That has nothing to do with my children. That has nothing to do with my wife. I can't even think on that level. That has nothing to do with my church. It's setting apart our thinking to a higher dimension and a higher level where now God is glorified and truly ministered to, where he is served in our thinking. He's ministered and worshiped in our thinking. He wants us to elevate the ways of our thinking, okay? So this is how we do it. Ephesians 5, verse 25. He gives us a picture of a husband and wife, and he says, verse 25, husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify her. So before he marries you, he sanctifies you, cleanses you with what? The washing of water by the word of God. This is how we overcome. This is how we cast down imaginations. This is how we drive out. It's a people that are so intently and so blindly follow God's word that this is the only thing that makes sense to us. That we don't try to dumb down God's word, adjust God's word to make it make sense, but we become so... um so overwhelmed and so infused with God's word that it becomes the only thing that really makes sense and everything else just doesn't satisfy when you are washed by the water of the word that he might present her to himself. He wants to sanctify you, cleanse you, change your way of thinking, wash you by the word so he can present you to himself. Wow. Like he has this whole plan to create a sanctified bride for himself. A glorious church, not having a spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that we should be holy. Someone say holy. Holy and without blemish. So God is after a people that are holy in their thinking. We are contending for the return of our husband, our head, for this glorious church, but he's not going to return to a church that is not glorious. He's not going to return to a bride that has not been renewed, that had, their minds have not been washed by the word and sanctified. So this must be our goal. Are you guys with me? To be washed by the word, sanctified, that we may present ourselves to God as a glorious bride. It's so good. Somebody say amen. All right, changing gears a little bit. In 2 Chronicles chapter 29, just write it down. Read uh, chapters 29 through 31 on your own time. But in 2 Chronicles 29, we read that King Hezekiah, 25 years old, opens and repairs the doors of the temple. He cleanses the temple of all debris. And so we are the temple now, Right? You guys know that we are the temple now. And so we have to cleanse our temples of all the debris. That's what Hezekiah came. And this is why I'm saying the, the kingdom of God is more about subtracting than adding because they added all, the kings before him added all this stuff to the temple that didn't belong. And King Hezekiah, his first thing was he changed the doors, the entrance, the way. He changed, and it's speaking of, we need to change the way we see Jesus. That's the first thing. We need to see, change the way we see God. Because a lot of people see God, they see Jesus wrong. And so he changes the doors first, the way, the entrance into the temple. And then he cleanses the temple of all the crap that doesn't belong. I love it. 
that was added. So all this stuff was added by previous kings. He cleanses the altar and all the vessels of the tabernacle. He tells the Levites in, in 29.11 of Second Chronicles to sanctify themselves and to remove all the filthiness from the holy place. So he goes in, he starts cleansing the altar, cleans all the vessels. He has the Levites go in and they remove all the filthiness from the holy place. And in 29.11, he says to the Levites and the priests, my sons, do not be negligent now for the Lord has chosen you to stand before him to serve him that you should minister to him and burn incense. It's so beautiful. Somebody say amen. This is our goal. This is our life that he has chosen us to minister to him, to serve him, and our life to burn incense before him. But before we can do that, we have to remove all the filthiness, all the stuff, all the debris that we add and get back to this simple gospel of my mind has been renewed in Christ. It doesn't say my mind has been made new. It says my mind has been renewed. My mind has been brought back to the ancient path of what it was in God before the foundation of the world. That's so good. My mind has been renewed back to its original state before Adam, before Eve, in God. And now this is how we are supposed to think, walk, and operate. Amen? All right. So Hezekiah restores worship back into the house of God. And then it says... In 2 Chronicles 29, verse 30 to 31, it says, Moreover, King Hezekiah and the leaders commanded the Levites to sing praise to the Lord with the words of David and of Asaph the seer. So they sang praises with gladness, and they bowed their, knee, their heads and worshiped. Then Hezekiah answered and said, Now that you have consecrated yourselves to the Lord, come near and bring sacrifices and thank offerings. Say thank offerings into the house of the Lord. So the assembly brought in sacrifices and thank offerings. This is what I want to do tonight. And as many as were willing of a willing heart, they brought their burnt offerings. Is there anyone here that has a willing heart tonight? And so the first step was consecrating because Hezekiah in verse 31 says, now that you've consecrated yourselves, now that we've cleaned out the temple, now that we've gotten rid of all the, de the debris, all the garbage that doesn't belong, come near, bring your sacrifices and a thank offering to the Lord. There were Levites and priests, and, and I'm giving you a lot of verses so you can go study it for yourself because we don't have the time tonight to get into all of it, but I pray and I know that as you guys go and study this, God will reveal more to you. But First Chronicles 16 and Second Chronicles 31 it tells us about Levites and priests that were appointed and chosen just to give thanks to God. And it doesn't, it doesn't say necessarily how. It doesn't say on instruments. It doesn't say by singing. It doesn't say, you know, by dancing. Whatever their appointed way was, it just says they were chosen. These specific priests and Levites were appointed just to give thanks to God. And so how important is this to God? In Jonah 2, verses 7 to 9, how many of you guys know the story of Jonah? So I don't have to get into the whole thing. The Lord tells him to go to Nineveh. He doesn't want to go. He gets on a, a ship. The 
<clears throat> storm comes, the people on the ship realize like this is the problem. This guy, he's the problem that's causing the storm. So let's throw him overboard. They throw him overboard. He ends up in a, the a fish swallows him. He ends up in a fish's belly for three days. You guys remember the story? The fish vomits him up on Nineveh anyway. So he ended up just taking a detour of where God wanted and told him to go. And in, in Jonah chapter two, verses seven and nine, he's crying out to the Lord in the belly of the fish. And I want you guys to let the Lord speak to you in a new way because sometimes I feel like when we when we we talk about Noah, we talk about Jonah, we think of like children's church and the stories and veggie tales, okay? And that's amazing, that's great. But I want you guys to let let the Lord speak to you in a new way through this. So Jonah 2, 7 and 9, said, he cries out to the Lord from the belly of the fish, which fish speaks of humanity. It speaks of the soul. It speaks of carnality. It speaks of the flesh, okay? So he's in the belly of this fish, and he says, my soul fainted within me. I remembered the Lord, and my prayer went up to you into your holy temple. Those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy, that's capital N. So they forsake the one that is merciful. But I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. Can you guys say the voice of thanksgiving? I will sacrifice to you. Tonight, I wanna make a sacrifice with a voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. It took Jonah to get to this point. And then verse 10, it says, and the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out on dry land. So until Jonah said, I will sacrifice to you because he was a sacrifice. He's in a whale, fish, whatever it was, belly. And he's saying, I'm gonna sacrifice to you, but I'm gonna give you a voice of thanksgiving because you are deserving of it. Salvation is of the Lord and I will pay what I have vowed. And the fish spits him out. The humanity spits him out. The soul way of thinking spits him out. So I want you guys to write this down. Thankfulness realigns our life with God's will. Because God's will was for him to go to Nineveh and he had to take a long detour for three days and get swallowed by a fish, thrown into the ocean. But it was God's will for him to end up there. And it wasn't until he cried out with his voice of thanksgiving that this, the fish vomited on him on dry land. Thankfulness realigns our life with God's will. Thankfulness is a prophetic declaration of God's goodness in your life. I'm gonna just give you some practical things that you guys can just think about and meditate on. You know when the word says, Selah, like Selah on these things, think on these things. Thankfulness is a prophetic declaration of God's goodness in your life. This is a big one. When we complain, we are reaffirming our lack. And when we are thankful, we are reaffirming his abundance. Do you want me to say it again? When we complain, we are reaffirming our lack. And when we are thankful, we are reaffirming his abundance. And so I talk to a lot of people as a pastor and some of the language that I hear, and not so much here, thank God, but the language that I hear a lot of times is subtle things 
that that sound like they could be something that's good, like, what's my purpose? What am I doing here? I, I'm, I don't know what God is doing. There's, there's, you know, there's no money. And we say things like this. And I think uh, one of the biggest issues we have in the church is a spirit of complaining. A complaining spirit is one of the greatest downfalls, I believe, in the church, a spirit of ungratefulness. And this spirit of being unthankful will really plague the way we think. Remember, we are, we are kings and priests that have holiness to the Lord on our foreheads, right? And so we have to understand these practical markers of things that we say and things that we believe that come from a spirit of complaining, which reaffirms whatever we think we are lacking, it will multiply that thing. Whatever we are complaining about, it will increase that thing by complaining about it. But when we have a lot to complain about and we have a lot to walk through and we have a lot of pressure and we have a lot of things we're going through and we lift a voice of thanksgiving despite everything else, it'll increase the abundance in our life and decrease the all the other nonsense that is going on. This is a huge problem. I think that so many problems would be solved if we would lift a voice of thanksgiving more often, like intentionally, not just pray in the morning, you know, half asleep with our coffee. Thank you, Lord, for my house, my car, my dog. Like, that's great. But I mean intentionally like, Lord, I am thankful that you've saved me. I am thankful that you've redeemed me. How many of you have ever gone, uh, like done a, a, been here in a prayer room or anywhere else in a prayer room? And as soon as someone gets up and just starts thanking God for his goodness, the room changes. It could be a child. It could be someone that does, that's nervous to pray. If you get up here and just thank God for his goodness, the room changes because it like gets his attention. And when we thank God for his goodness, it shuts all the noise of our thinking down. It shuts all the, the debris and the ites of our thinking and the things that try and come and mix with the way we think like the Israelites. And they, they try to come in and it tries to come in and take us off course. But Jonah here finds this secret that I'm gonna lift a voice of thanksgiving and I really truly believe that a lot of the things that we walk through, they we would not walk through them if we had a heart that was thankful to God, like intentionally thankful, like despite what I see, despite what I feel, despite what I'm going through, you know, and, and I'm not, this is not condemnation on anyone. We all go through. This is something that I'm preaching to myself. I have to, to study this word about twice a year that I realign my thinking because even here, I mean, can I be honest? You know, we're we're expanding and we're we're starting new campuses or locations. We don't call them campuses. We're we're starting new locations and and we have a we have a large payroll for for the side. We have a lot of staff and we you know that live in three different states and we have a lot of expenses and travel and and we're supporting ministries and and we're doing all of this by faith and and with a very very little debt. Thank God. Someone say Amen. And God is supporting us and sustaining us, and he's gonna pay off that little amount of debt, amen. But it's easy to be like, Lord, everything seems to be working good except for the finances. Everything seems to be amazing except it's tight financially. And I'm not telling you guys to live in la-la land. I, you know, we have to, like when, you have to call a spade a spade, 
I'm not saying to just live in this fantasy world, but what I'm saying is as soon as we make that the marker of success or we're, we're telling God what's like, it's always a struggle with the finances, what's going on. This is a complaining spirit. We're actually empowering the lack of finance. We're actually empowering the thing that we are complaining about. We are doing the exact opposite. And so sometimes Michelle, my sister, will send me the, the offering and she'll, my brother and our executive team and, and we'll go through the offerings. And, and if it's low, I have made it this thing where even if it's low, I say, praise God. Even if I know we're not gonna make it payroll, I say, praise God, because what it does is it reaffirms like, God, my hope is not in this. My hope is not in a number. My hope is not in finances. My hope is in you. Where would I be without you, Jesus? Despite what's going on, it uplifts my soul. It causes the attention of God. And I must, this is not a magic trick to try and get God to bless you. It could be low every single week. And he is after, are you going to be thankful? Are you going to lift a voice of thanksgiving? It says a sacrifice of thanksgiving, a dying to self to say, Lord, this hurts right now. I'm struggling right now. I don't know what's going on right now. I'm confused right now, but I'm going to lay myself down on the altar and say, you are worthy, God, and I am forever grateful because if you don't do another thing for me, Jesus, you've done enough. If you never give me the million dollars, you've done enough. If you don't heal those in the community that God knows we are praying for, you've done enough and we are grateful, God. Because my gratefulness cannot be based on circumstance. My gratefulness cannot be based on my healing. My gratefulness cannot be based on my financial prosperity. It's based on God's goodness. And that grabs the heart of God, realigns us with his will, it's not my will, it's your will. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on my earth as it is in heaven. Turn to John chapter six. I'm almost done. Thanks, bro. <clears throat> So when we complain, we are reaffirming our lack. But when we are thankful, we reaffirm his abundance over our life. I'm going to give you a couple of quick examples. And I'm going to call Ryan back up. John 6, verses 4 to 14. It says, Now the, <clears throat> now the Passover of Feast of the Jews was near, then Jesus lifted up his eyes and seeing a great multitude coming towards him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? I love this about Jesus. But this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he was gonna do. Philip answered him and said, 200 denarii. Philip was like the, the one that reasoned. He was the logical one. 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them that every one of them may have a little. Verse eight. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? Like this can't feed everyone. And I know we all know this story, but I want you to see something. Verse 10, then Jesus said, make the people sit down. So he always makes you sit down. I love this, that it, 
and it says this in, I believe, all of the other gospels. It says, now there was much grass in this place. Like it always, like it doesn't just, the, the writers, John didn't just throw that in there. And it wasn't a coincidence that other gospels referenced that's grass. So I asked God why grass. Grass is a, is that word is actually a similar word to the word garden. It's something that had to be taken care of. It's something that was prepared. And so he's saying, sit down in what I have prepared. So he, he automatically, before he, he, he distributes and duplicates and multiplies the, the loaves and the fish, he sits them down. So we must always have this place of rest, resting in what he's already finished and prepared. There was so much grass in this place. So the men sat down in number about 5,000 and Jesus took the loaves. And when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples. Notice he gave thanks and then they multiplied and the disciples to those sitting down. So he gave them to the disciples. So he always gives to his chosen, his elect. And then the disciples go and give to those that are sitting down and likewise of the fish. And as they, and as much as they wanted. So when they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. Therefore, they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which were left over by those who had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, this is truly the prophet who has come into the world. Somebody say amen. amen. So God will cause what you are thankful for to multiply. Write it down. God will cause what you are thankful for to multiply. This is the secret to an abundant life that before Jesus distributed, multiplied, broke the bread, he thanked God. This is a secret. He had them sit down, rest on what he had prepared, and he gave thanks. So we must rest in the finished work and give thanks always. You can write that down too. We must rest in the finished work and give thanks always. And he will use the things of this world to work for you or against you. And I love both of these stories that we read in Jonah and in John involved fish. It speaks of this humanity, this solical way of thinking. So he will use things of this world or the fish in the case of Jonah to work against him because he complained, and the case of Jesus to work for him, which fed a multitude. And so based on how we respond to situations, whether we complain or are faithful, the situations and what happens around us, we determine if it works for us or against us by how we respond to it. God always measures us by our reaction. Are we gonna be thankful in this situation or are we gonna react and complain? It will work for you or against you. Thankfulness and complaining are multipliers. They will multiply what you already have. They will increase what you already have. And so if we complain about something, our complaint is gonna multiply that thing. If we are thankful, if we are, if we give a God a sacrifice of praise, we will multiply that thing. We will uh, multiply the things that we are thankful for. 
And so when we are complaining that there is no lack, we must be thankful that we are fed, that we have roofs over our heads, that we are covered, that we are healthy, that we are strong, that we are redeemed, that we are saved. We have so much to be thankful for. You guys look depressed. Is there something to be thankful for? So 1 Thessalonians 5, and go ahead and come up, Ryan. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And I know we've heard this, but just stop, and I'm gonna go slow and think about this. In everything give thanks. Why? For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. That is a powerful statement. It doesn't say this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you amongst other things. It says this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. I think as the church, if we could get this revelation of a thankful heart, if we could get this revelation of worship with thanksgiving, a sacrifice of thanksgiving, it would change everything in our lives. If we could grab a hold of this revelation, I believe it would change how we see God and how we see ourselves and truly realign how our thinking with his will, with his purpose for our lives. And so I think that we make it, sometimes as humans, we make it way more complicated than it has to be. And we try to figure out God. We try to go ahead of God. We try to make a plan for God and we try to figure him out. And he's saying, forget about all that stuff. Forget about when you're gonna be used. Forget about when your ministry is gonna happen. Forget about when you're gonna have this breakthrough. Forget about all of it. If you would just give thanks, you'll understand my will for your life. If you would just be thankful, you'll understand my will for your life. You wanna know the purpose of your life? Give thanks. Can you imagine a church, the bride of Christ, thinking in this holiness posture, thinking with a sanctified, consecrated mind that are giving thanks to God because giving thanks to him is reaffirming that He believe, that we believe that he has accomplished everything through his death and resurrection. When we are thankful, we are saying, God, you've won it all. You've really finished it. There's nothing else for you to finish. We approach God in prayer like he's holding out on us and there's something else that he needs to accomplish. But he's saying, if you would just change your mind and give thanks to me, if you would lift a voice of thanksgiving, you'll understand my will. You'll understand my purpose. You'll understand how I think. I need you to give thanks because you are solidifying in your mind and reaffirming to those around you my finished work. Because if you would live in my finished work and sit down, I love how he didn't, you know, he could have left these details out. John writing this could have left these details out, but Jesus says, sit down on a grass. Then say, sit down in the forest, sit down on the sand, sit down in a pool. It said, sit down on grass, something that has to be taken care of, prepared. He's taking care of it. This is good news. You should be happy. He's taken care of it. He's prepared it. He said, just sit down, give thanks, and I'll multiply all this lack. I mean, I'll take away all this lack. I'll multiply your provision. I'll multiply the abundance over your life. So we are going to give God an offering of thanksgiving tonight. And I want you guys, you have envelopes on your chairs. And listen, this has, I, I want to do... We're gonna worship him. And then at the end, I want 
to hold, to bring the bucket. We'll put the bucket up here. And I want to get out of our seats. For those of you that are watching online, you can do it at home. You can give at risennation.org. And listen, if you think this is a ploy or you think this is some strategy to get an offering, please keep it. If you think that this is about money, please keep it. You will actually uh, taint something that God wants to do that is holy. But I want to activate what we heard. And like Hezekiah told the priests of God, I'm going to stand here and tell all of our members at Risen Nation that are here and watching that we are going to give a praise offering of thanks to God tonight. That we are going to, we are going to walk out what we have believed. We're going to walk out what we've heard tonight and we are going to give God an offering. This is beyond our tithe. This is beyond what we normally give. And I don't care what the amount is. Just make sure it's your best. Make sure that it's holy and make sure that you are coming with a willing heart. Say willing heart. If you don't have a willing heart or you don't have one doll to your name, get an envelope and write on it like we did months ago. I have a willing heart but I need everyone to participate wherever you're watching, get your kids. And I want us to do this as a family. And we are going to offer to God and commit to God on this Thanksgiving that we will live a life of thankfulness. We are going to commit to God tonight that we are going to live a life full of thanksgiving. And we are going to drive out, demolish thoughts of complaining that don't belong to us. Amen. And so I don't care the amount that's between you and God, but it must be done in a thankful heart, holy and the best that we can do unto our God. It is worship to him. Thy kingdom come and thy will, Lord, your will be done on this earth. Someone say, as it is in heaven. You want to know his will as it is in heaven in everything didn't say in some things. It didn't say when you feel like it. It didn't say when there's money. It didn't say when you're sick and when you're whole. It didn't say when you're confused or you're depressed or you have anxiety. It didn't say any of that. Someone say in everything. And I want you to say it online. In everything, give thanks. This is how God's will is done on the earth. Thank you again for joining us for this podcast. We pray that above all, your life was touched by his presence. If you're interested in learning more about the church or getting plugged in, you can visit us at www.risennation.org or follow us on social media to stay up to date with all that God is doing here. We love you guys. God bless.